Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You gotta keep them separated. Welcome to episode 33 of the Pro Wrestling Index on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky, and I have a special show. This is a show that I have been trying all week to get recorded, and there has been one obstacle after another that has gotten in my path, but I have to say that as a result of that, I have a great guest that is actually sitting across from me right now enjoying a lovely Irish whiskey. He is my good friend, the very talented Telly from Title Match Wrestling, and we are going to break down SummerSlam, talk about Seth Rollins, Bret Hart, Brock Lesnar, take your social media questions, and so much more this week on the podcast. Telly, welcome to PWI. It's your first time on this podcast. You've, you've joined me on uh, Your Opinion Doesn't Matter before, but um, now you're here for the, uh, the UK wrestling fans and you get to, to spread your knowledge and, and, and your love with them as well. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, yeah. I can cheers to that. Thanks oh, yeah. for that lovely introduction. Yeah. Well, that's what I do. That's what I'm, that's what I'm paid the big bucks for. <laughs> um, so tell everybody uh, who may not be familiar with Title Match Wrestling a little bit about it and what you do, because I think a lot of our listeners would be very interested um, in it. It's some incredible work. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of all the, uh, the pieces that you have up there. And it's updated, I think, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every single week. Is that correct? Monday, Wednesday, uh, Sunday. Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. So, um, but, so there's, it's constantly updated. There's always content on there. And I think it's something a lot of our listeners would enjoy. Yeah, so basically what it is is it's just a channel with a collection of pretty much some of the biggest wrestling names in the industry, some of the biggest promotions across the country that might not get as much exposure. And, um, you know, we have crews that go out to a lot of different shows and try and cover. Um, we cover live events. We just try and get the best information out there, and we try and interview the biggest names and just, you know, give the people what they want. Yeah, so like shoot interviews, basically. Yeah, shoot interviews behind the scenes. We do full-length sit-down interviews, and uh, just a little bit different than WWE. You know, we actually, uh, you know, tell the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I missed that. (laughs) That actually went over my head. Um, We actually tell the truth. Um, So recently, we uh, at Reality of Wrestling, because you you work with uh, with me over there as well, uh, we had Summer of Champions 3, our biggest event of the year. 
And uh, one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, Kurt Angle, yes. was, was a part of this. You got a chance to sit down with Kurt Angle and pick his brain. Uh, Kurt Angle talked about a lot, including AJ Styles, which we'll get into more in a minute. But um, that video right now, that interview in its entirety, is available at TitleMatchWrestling.com and on your YouTube page. Yes. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about that. So we got to sit down with Kurt Angle, and um, like you said, I mean, if you haven't gone to Title Match Wrestling, definitely check it out, subscribe to it, and we can you'll get those updates every week. So um, Kurt Angle, we got the honor of sitting down talking to him, and such a cool guy from the beginning, very um, personable, very open to answer anything. And we got to talk about a lot of things that involved his past, everything from his questionable storyline with uh, Booker T and Charmel years oh, ago. Oh, my God. And, you know, what the hell that was all about. Um to his, you know, time in TNA and, uh, you know, his matches with AJ Styles. And Could Shawn you imagine, Michael. by the way, being told that this is this is what you're going to do? Your, your your job is going to be to stalk Charmel on screen. I mean, Booker is a lovely man. He's yeah. one of my favorite people. He, he's, a, he's a mentor and I love him. But he can be a scary man as well. Totally. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, and it's not somebody you want to mess with. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Kurt Angle is being put in a position where Vince McMahon saying, hey, hey, Kurt, you got to do this. You yeah. Know? Especially to the lengths that they took that, because it didn't, you know, it started out so innocently, like Kurt was just like a, he seemed like just like a sexual deviant at first, like, <laughs> you know, and then as the weeks went on, like, and, and I didn't remember until I even did some research on it beforehand, I didn't realize that he had like bound and gagged and like stuffed Joy Giovanni or something like in a trunk, like before this, like leading up to the storyline. So it was really weird. And, you know, he... You know, he mentions in the interview how Vince McMahon was the one that came up with the idea. He wanted him to be an animalistic sex predator, basically. And I couldn't imagine how uncomfortable he would feel being around uh, Booker T and Charmel and having to actually perform that. This is a man who once won an Olympic gold medal in amateur <laughs> wrestling. Okay? And he's transitioned from that to being an on-screen stalker, bound and gagging women and stuffing them in the trunk of his car. Yeah. This is professional wrestling. It was the most absurd <laughs> shit I had ever seen at the time. Like, I mean, you know, we're way post-Attitude Era when this was going on, too. I mean, this was yeah. like, what, 2005, 2006, yeah. maybe, something like that. This is, so this is, this is after the failed stalking attempt from DDP. Yeah, with The Undertaker's yeah. wife. We thought we had gone past that. Yeah. No. And, and not – I mean, the promos were so over the top. I mean – I mean, he's literally on top of her with like what, like a rag, I think, or yeah. something, like trying to. I mean, we're not we're not making innuendos here. This is he's a. Hey, listen, WWE shot it. Yeah, you know? but this is this is the same company, by the way. It's, it's not a situation where it's like you're going to ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. I mean, Vince McMahon produced a segment in which his own daughter made out with Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Okay. That was his brainchild. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is something that he thought of. Right. He woke up and he was like, hey, Stephanie, I have a great idea. I want you to make out with the man who tried to put us out of business. <laughs> yeah. So. Genius. That's Vince. That's Vince for you. It was fascinating to hear his take on that and, you know, some other things. I know you were talking about, like the AJ Styles thing we talked about. I don't yeah. know if you wanted to get into that. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. But, go, go, go ahead. But we had, we had talked about AJ Styles and, you know, I just basically posed the question about how he thought AJ's transition has been from TNA to the WWE and also from Japan and stuff like that. But – the idea was, you know, if you were to have a match, the same kind of caliber match that you had with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 21 on that kind of stage, mm-hmm. if you had that with AJ Styles, 
what kind of result would it be? Would it be as good or better? And immediately he said it would be better. And um, that's what I think is was the most in, one of the most interesting parts of that conversation. You know, it's it's a great debate, um, and and I, and I want to find out what what y'all think about this. So tweet at pw underscore index on Twitter. Let me know. Um, you know, if AJ Styles had the opportunity to come up in WWE or WWF at the time from the very beginning of his career, the way Shawn Michaels did, would he have had a better career? Would he have had a career on par with Shawn Michaels? You know, would, would, would he have been remembered as a better performer? Because right now, I look at AJ Styles, and from a work standpoint, now now anybody that's been listening to your opinion doesn't matter or reading my tweets, they know how high I am right now on The Miz. Mm-hmm. I'm loving what The Miz is doing. You know, from an entertainment perspective, from a, you know, on the mic perspective, yeah. as, as a mic technician, as Brad Gilmore would say, uh, he's as good as it gets right now. Yeah. But in terms of work... There's no one in the company that is better than AJ Styles. And it's incredible how he has evolved as a performer uh, into the perfect storm at this point. And I think it's a great question. I mean, and Kurt Angle himself is saying, you know, he thinks he'd have a, a, better, a better match in the big time than uh, with AJ Styles than he would with, with Shawn Michaels. But then again, he's worked with AJ f- over 100 times. So Yeah. You know, so that definitely plays a big factor in it. And like Shawn Michaels, he said that was the first time they'd ever wrestled together was at WrestleMania 21. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being in the business, I mean, how hard it is for two guys to show up in the ring together on a stage like that and, and expect to put on that kind of caliber match without ever working. Even if you work stuff out in the back, yeah. such a different feel as opposed to working someone 100 times. Yeah, no, I mean, it is 100 percent. And I mean, it's it's camaraderie, um, chemistry. All that stuff. I mean, I don't work, but I call commentary, and I can tell you, like, working with Brad in the last two and a half years now, um, sitting at the desk and, and doing it with him um, every every month, um, you know, we've built a certain chemistry. So it gets to the point where you get in there, and um, I mean, I, I'll put it this way. I prepare half as much as I used to, and I feel like the work that we do is five times better than it was prior to that. Um, it's not, you know, it's not that I have a lack of preparation It's that I have to do less because so much of it comes so much easier. And I mean, it, it, it's sort of like, you know, with, with, with Booker, um, or a guy like, um, Cena for that matter. Those are guys that call the match in the ring. You yeah. know, now, now Booker's retired, but Cena still calls the majority of his matches in the ring and it's, it's a lost art, but, um, it, it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, if you've been doing it for so long, um, it just comes incredibly natural to you. Yeah, you know, no, so, totally. Yeah, uh, but yeah, definitely check that out at TitleMatchWrestling.com. It's available right now, and uh, like I said, I think everyone will really enjoy the content. It's it's fantastic content, and uh, it's updated three times a week. So I think all the listeners will enjoy it. Um, well, listen, we haven't had a chance on this show yet to talk about WWE SummerSlam. I've got a lot of tweets, uh, which we're going to get to throughout the show. Regarding the show itself, regarding the Brock Lesnar incident, which, of course, we're going to talk about uh, on this broadcast, and then obviously about the Finn Balor injury as well, uh, and then Bret Hart's uh, retort uh, or response, if you will, to uh, Seth Rollins uh, supposedly being 100% responsible for injuring yet another talent, and I have some things to say about that. But why don't we start with WWE SummerSlam? Uh, We're not going to run down the card uh, match by match, but we are going to hit on some of the major points. First of all, you had a chance, Telly, to watch SummerSlam. I did. Um, Overall, you know, before we talk about some of the highlights, what was your your general impression of the show overall? I I enjoyed it. Yeah. I did did enjoy it. I thought it was – I was exhausted 
by the end of it. It was a long show. It was it, like 13 matches. Yeah, incredibly long. And what was going on in the matches, I thought, dragged a little bit. I mean, I know on a stage like SummerSlam, you want to go out and give it the best um, you have and, and go as long as you can and get all your shit in, basically. Yeah. Uh, but from a fan's perspective, I thought it just took way too long to get to the end point. But overall, I mean, I thought it was a really fun show. Yeah. Um, a couple of the highlights here. Uh, why don't we start? Because I've talked about The Miz earlier. So we'll, we'll start with um, The Miz and Apollo Crews, Intercontinental Championship. Uh, I thought this matchup was booked very, very well. It protected Apollo Crews from the standpoint that Apollo Crews didn't lose this match because he wasn't physically capable of beating The Miz. He was simply outsmarted by a wily veteran and a heel. Um, you know, he jumps into the post head first. The Miz with the schoolboy um, hits him with the uh, skull-crushing finale, gets the win. Um, I think that Apollo Crews has a bright future, but I still think that there's something that Apollo Crews is missing that could prevent him from getting out of the mid-card. Uh, that's something he's going to have to work on. He's missing an element to his character, in my opinion. The Miz, on the other hand, I think right now is at the pinnacle of his career. This is as good as we've seen The Miz. Um, he's almost an 11-year veteran in the company. And I'm starting to see the opinion definitely change. Um, the majority of people, especially in the internet wrestling community, on social media, really appreciating what The Miz is doing right now. I've been a fan of it for a while. But if The Miz were to retire today, I think some could make an argument that he could be a Hall of Famer uh, at this point. Uh, what, what do you think about The Miz and, and, and sort of this, this transformation or this, um, this graduation, if you will, of The Miz character to what we've seen now? Well, I think I, I definitely agree that I could see him being a Hall of Fame candidate because of what he did. I mean, he definitely broke some barriers just being – I mean, this is an MTV star, essentially, real world – whatever star yeah that, that that whose dream was to be a wrestler to actually being and headline on a, a wrestlemania card and uh as you said to be employed by the wwe for 11 years to be at this point i think some could have written him off before i think there were some lulls obviously in his mm -hmm. development but now yeah i actually care about his character now it's not so much, it's not as forced to me. It, it seemed very natural. It seemed very real and organic. Yeah. And like you said, Apollo Crews is missing something. That's what he's missing. I don't. I just don't give a shit. I think he does the most amazing stuff. That I some of the most amazing things I've seen. Same with like a Neville. Yeah. Uh, I think they. I do. put him right in there with a Neville. They're they're incredible. Know? They do some. You know, you, you, like how did he do that? But it's like beyond beyond what happens from bell to bell. Yeah. Why am I invested in this character? That's the thing. Yeah. I'm really – and I don't know what an Apollo Crews is. Like he had – I'll give him this. He had more – he had more um, – Or as Miz referred to him, Apollo Creed on SmackDown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One or the other, right? I mean he, I, he he looked fired up. He looked like he was he was trying really hard. It was a great platform for him. I thought he had a hell of a showing yeah. against the Miz. But yeah, I don't – you know, I think he'll maybe he'll get there. But as of right now, I just don't it, – it's – if we're being – really critical about these guys, which we have to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't – I'm not invested in him yet. The Miz, though, has definitely changed my mind over time. And he doesn't do all the, the high spots. He's not as interesting. It's more calculated, his, his wrestling. Right. It, it wouldn't make sense for his character either. And I, I'm, I'm more invested in him now than I was. You know, you bring up an interesting point, which I hadn't thought about before, because we're going to talk about Seth Rollins later in the show. Uh, excuse me, everybody. I'm a little nasally because I'm still getting over a cold, by the way. But um, Seth Rollins, 
has been accused of injuring several different stars, and and a lot of this is 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 really coming from Bret Hart, which yeah. which, which which we'll address. Uh-huh. But the point is is that he's doing things in the ring that either could be reckless or unnecessary, which is up for debate. The Miz, on the other hand, as you stated, like everything that he does is calculated. So from a character perspective, you look at it and you say it's very easy. He's a calculating heel. But here's the thing is that as a worker, he's making everything that he does in the ring count. Yeah. And that reminds me a lot of Bret Hart, where, where, where you don't have to use a turnbuckle bomb to get over. I mean, am I right about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Would the match, the way I look at that, I mean, it's, it's easy in hindsight, because they did a lot of stuff in that match with, with Seth Rollins and, um, and Finn Balor, where I thought that was unnecessary, or that should end the match right now, any if we're speaking with any logic here at all, this should be the end, but it's not. Yeah. And it keeps going. It's easy to look at it now, now that Finn Balor was injured on that one spot and say he shouldn't have done it. I, I, I'm, I'm of the same opinion, though. Like, do, do they need to do all that every time? I mean, every time I see them work, it's incredible, and I feel like they're going to die that mm. night, and they're not going to work anymore. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the. I don't know if there's any easy answer for it. Because is it the move itself? Is it Seth Rollins? Um, you can make the argument that you know a lot of people gave AJ the same kind of stuff when he broke a few guys' necks, you know, with the Styles Clash, uh, you know, within the last few years. Yeah, and people were saying, you know, he's too dangerous, or he, you know, this and that. I, I don't know. Seth Rollins, his character is so reliant on a lot of those moves. So he's CrossFit Jesus. Yeah, I mean he's he's incredible and. Uh, it's a shame that that happened to Balor because I know, too, like uh, uh, Seth Rollins, you know, when, when he's come back, I feel like his promos have gotten stronger since he came back from injury. I feel like his character overall is more polished a little bit more than I, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like Seth is the total package. I mean, I, I, I really do. And, 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 and we'll 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 get into Seth because I, we, we I, I have some things I want to dissect about him. But mm-hmm. before we get into that, um, let's talk. Let, let's run down a few of these other matches. Let's yeah. talk about um, the the um, I was about to call it the Diamonds title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the, the women's championship matchup between Charlotte and Sasha Banks. Um, I think Sasha is injured uh, and she's going to need to take some time off. Um, she was injured prior to WrestleMania as well, so she's picked up a couple of knocks along the way. Uh, Charlotte becomes a two-time women's champion. Some people had an issue with this. I've been high on Charlotte for a while. Uh, I feel like Charlotte is the most complete person in the women's division um, on either brand for that matter. Um, I, I mean, I think it goes without saying. I see a lot of her father in her. Oh, yeah. I, I think she's great as a heel. Um, I think she's evolved and has gotten stronger as a heel without him there. I think he was actually stealing some of her heat. Um, and I, I think she's great as a performer. Now, this match between the two of them at SummerSlam, I don't think it was the best encounter they've had by any stretch of the imagination. No. And perhaps it was because Sasha was working hurt, or I don't know um, what the case may be. But I am okay with Charlotte being the standard bearer of that women's division um, on Raw. Well, what, what did you think of the match, and, and what, do you, what are your thoughts and opinions about Charlotte and about Sasha Banks going forward? I agree with your assessment of the match. Probably wasn't their strongest. I didn't think it was a bad outing, but as you said, I don't know exactly all the circumstances behind it. Was, she, was Charlotte working, or um, Sasha working hurt? Um, if that is the case, and that explains a lot of it. I do agree that Charlotte is a lot str- I, I think she is... 
she's amazing. And I didn't know at first seeing her in NXT. I always thought she had the talent, but I didn't know going forward if she would be as complete of the package as she is now. Yeah. I mean, she really is. And getting Ric Flair out of the out of the scene, I mean, it doesn't hurt having your father being this, you know, heavyweight, uh, legendary world champion yeah. in your corner. But it's almost like having Polly Shore as an extra in a movie. Like, hey, wait a second, that's him in the background. Like, you can't help but look at the guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he was definitely stealing the heat, like, I think, from Charlotte. She's much better on her own and having her lackey now, kind of. Uh, was it a? Uh, when is the last time Pauly Shore did a movie? God, I don't know. What an obscure reference, uh, arcane reference that was yeah. too. Like, when's the last? I don't know. Was it? Was it Encino Man? Shit, I don't know. I mean, that was Encino Man. That was a long time. Was he in Encino Man? Was it? I think he was. I don't know. Son-in-law? I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Pauly Shore. I just feel like I feel like like Rick was 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 stealing a lot of her heat, yeah. and and it just it got to the point where it's like. I like Ric Flair. I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I mean, I, I love Ric Flair. Yeah. Um, but it was just time. Yeah. He's crying on Raw every week. He was. It was like how many times? Does, it was like he's like uh, with a dick for meal. He's <laughs> crying all the time. Yeah. It was like, like how much is this guy going to cry? Um, I didn't like him when he was managing AJ Styles in TNA. I thought he was a distraction from AJ then, and I just feel like whenever he's managing someone, you can't. It's like putting the rock in someone's corner or something yeah. like of that caliber. It like, just overshadows them completely. Yeah. I never really understood Charlotte until she got away from her dad. I always knew she had the tools. Yeah. But now that she's without her, it's great. What a bright future for the women's division now, like having her, Sasha Banks, still having someone that's built the foundation, like Natalia is still around. Yeah. Um, characters like that. Looks pretty bright for, to me. Yeah. And then you have Nikki who, who made a return as well. And yeah. She, she'll be in the, the women's division uh, on SmackDown. And we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, another match we need to talk about is uh, what I believe was the match of the night. Uh, I said this on Yodem Podcast earlier this week, and I stand by the statement, although a few of the Twitter trolls have, have come, out of the, uh, <laughs> come out of the woodwork uh, to uh, hit me over the head on this. But uh, I think this is one of the best wrestling matches I have ever seen. Uh, AJ Styles versus John Cena. I thought this was outstanding. There were some people that were complaining that it turned into a spot fest with too many false finishes, blah, blah, blah. Tell me these two have not earned the opportunity to call a match like that in the ring to begin with. Yeah. I thought this was wonderful. And let me say something else, too. As a kid who grew up as a Hulkamaniac, I loved Hulk Hogan. I admired him. He was my hero. There have been a lot of people in the business, very prominent members of the business, some of which are no longer with us, who have accused Hogan over the years, especially during his prime, of not passing the torch and being unwilling to put guys over. John Cena cannot be accused of doing that. He's done it for everybody. He did it for Del Rio when he came back. He did it for CM Punk. But what he did for AJ Styles, I mean, this idea that every match AJ Styles has, he carries. He didn't carry this match. This matchup was an even distribution of talent between two of the finest professional wrestlers in the history of the business. And John Cena, for me, solidified his place as the GOAT, as the greatest of all time. Not only is he the best ambassador in the history of WWE, the guy learned Mandarin, for Christ's sake. (laughs) So he could go to China and spread the message of WWE. How many members of the roster are willing to learn one of the most difficult languages in the world? so that he could hold a five-minute press conference and speak that language exclusively to somebody else, to a group of people, to sell WWE in China. But then on top of it, name the last time John Cena's had a bad match. I really can't. I can't either. 
And this matchup was incredible. And then at the end of it, he passed the torch to AJ Styles. Totally. What do you think of this match? I was blown away by the match, and I, I don't agree that it was too many spots. And I'm, I'll be the first to accuse a lot of the guys of being too spotty in their matches. I, it, it was really the match on the card that suspended disbelief for me, where I, I found myself being a fan again. Not that I'm not a fan, but I really found myself believing what I was seeing. Yeah. It, se- it seemed legitimate. It was far-fetched in spots, but it was, you know, it was perfect the way they did it. What a platform to have AJ Styles and, uh, and John Cena. And I think your argument is uh, very valid, is the greatest of all time. Because it's not just what he's done in the ring for the past 15 uh, years or whatever. On top, it's what he's done outside the ring, the lengths that he's gone how easy he is to work with. He's the most professional guy. He gets it. And no matter where he goes, he gets a reaction. It doesn't matter whether they boo him out of the building, whether they cheer him, they're reacting to him. That's all that matters. As long as people are paying attention, that's the bottom line. And he is, I can't think of anybody. Hogan's reign, I was a Hulkamaniac too growing up. His reign from what, 84 to... Um, it was nine years. Nine years. It was about nine years. And there were times in between where it, you could definitely tell a dip, even without... The internet around and, and Cena's been on top that. since about 2006, I think. Was it 05 or 06? Whenever the the ruthless aggression deal was, what was it? 04 or 05? It may, I think it was 04 even. Okay, maybe it was. Okay, well he beat Big Show for the U.S. title at WrestleMania 20. Yeah, whatever year that was. That was. Uh, and then we just had WrestleMania 34. So that's 12 years. Yeah. So so it's been at least 12 years. That this guy has has been either at the top or close to the top. And, and, and he's been the franchise for almost that entire period of time. I mean, we're not just I – because mean, how, how long was Austin's run? Austin caught fire in what, 97? Yeah, because he had the whole ringmaster thing, and then he didn't right. really become yeah, – he won the King of the Ring 96. Nin- 96. And then okay. he really started um, going up after that. And, and that was the, and King of the Ring was – in the, by the way, they need to bring King of the Ring back. And they need to bring it yeah. back with an eight-man tournament on one show, yeah. mind you. Um, but – that was the summer of 96. So 97's when he really, really caught fire. And then he burned out by what? 2001 at least, right? Yeah, 2000. maybe even sooner. Yeah. And what about Rock? Uh, Rock was what? Maybe like 08 or not 08, 98 through uh, 03? Yeah, because I remember him losing to Brock and losing to Goldberg, yeah. was it? Yeah, like 2003-ish. Yeah. And then he was kind of on his way out. But here's a guy in John Cena who consistently, for well over a decade, has been the banner guy. And I cannot point to a time when I've, when I've watched a John Cena match and it's been a bad match. Yeah. You know, and he can work with anybody. He can, he, he, he can work with Rusev when he was still, still, still a little green. I mean, Rusev now, I think, has gotten much better. but Much, much, much better, actually. But um, he can work with a guy like Rusev at WrestleMania. He could have epic encounters with CM Punk. Stuff he did with Edge. Fucking gold. Yeah. I mean, ab- abs- absolute gold. Um, and now what we're seeing from him and AJ Styles in, in the, the number of matches that they've had. I mean, even him carrying Rock. And I mean, and I'm going to say that because Rock wasn't exactly in the best physical condition, especially for their second WrestleMania match. They sure. Had. I mean, he was blowing up. And you could tell he was. And Cena was carrying that. And Cena did a fantastic job. Um, I, think he, I think he's the GOAT. I really do. I mean, if he's not the GOAT, who is? I mean, who, who is at that point? Are we talking about Sam Martino? 
we going back to Sam Gotch here? Yeah. You know, like, like what are we talking about? I think he's got well, to hack, go. Well, Hackenschmidt, I mean, oh, hack- on, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's be real here. But you nailed it. He can work with anybody. With and, anybody. And that's, I think, why AJ Styles is now finally getting the recognition that he deserves. And I'm not going to be a bandwagon guy for AJ. I'll admit, I, I had criticism of AJ um, only, my only criticism was we all we all knew he could work in TNA. We all knew he was fantastic. Yeah, I just thought along with guys like Samoa Joe and a lot of the guys that were there, they had just been there for too long. They had been so misused and um, it, to the point where they are just too old. The WWE is not going to have interest, and they're not going to get the opportunity. So why are we even talking about? It? We all knew they were talented, but right. prove it on the big stage. AJ. He got that chance because he can work with anybody. He does have the best matches on the show right now. Mm-hmm. His match with John Cena was magic. And it's so nice to see him getting the recognition that he does deserve and to really prove himself again. He's almost 40 now having these matches. It's, it's really outstanding. Who else has gone to WWE? Literally, if you were just a WWE fan and hadn't watched anything before that and just saw him now, how many guys have gone on the stage like that and gone on to perform? No, especially at this age. And, I mean, the only other talent that I can think of um, at this late stage in his in his life that his – and, I mean, like me, he's only a few years older than me. But yeah. I mean, the point I'm saying is, like, for, for your age in this business um, would really be Diamond Dallas Page. He's the only guy I can and, think and, of. And that, and that happened in WCW. And then DDP came to WWE and was completely misused. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, kind of went to hell in a handbasket, which, by the way, cheap plug, opinionpodcast.com. We have a, a WWE Invasion show. Beautiful. you got to listen to oh, uh, about how we would have uh, uh, booked it if, if we were in charge. But anyway, um, so DDP was the only other guy that I can really think of at this stage of his life that, um, uh, you know, took off. But, I mean, AJ now I think has been handed the, the torch. I really do. And, and, and you know, they, there was a deal at the end where Cena takes off the armband. He kind of goes to walk off. Some people – you know, speculated doesn't mean he's retiring. I don't think he's retiring. I think he's going to shoot season two of his reality show on Fox or whatever. But in the meantime, AJ Styles gets to run SmackDown. And I, and I really think, and we're going to transition into the Ambrose match here in a minute. I think it's a good transition. I really think he's the next natural champion for SmackDown. I do. I mean, I think he's ready to go. And by the way, I'm not a told-you-so kind of guy. But there are a lot of listeners to this show and people on Twitter who are extremely upset that Chris Jericho beat AJ Styles at WrestleMania and said this killed all of his momentum. (laughs) Yeah, I remember And I said, then, what is the problem with AJ Styles losing to a guy that's a six-time world champion? There's no problem with it at all. And look at where he is now. He's on top of the world. No one even remembers what happened at WrestleMania 32. But they're damn sure going to remember AJ Styles beating Cena clean after one of the best matches the two of them have ever had in their entire careers. Yeah, you're right. And all those people that were bitching, it was like uh, the next day on, what, at at Raw, where he won, what was it, like a fatal four-way or something in the end where he got catapulted into the main event scene. Yeah. So it was like, all right, well, this is what they were planning. You know, he, he, he gave the loss to Jericho. I don't think it hurt him at all. Obviously, we see... That it didn't hurt him. We just have to see how it plays out sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you made a com- well, when, when I interviewed you um, on uh, on Yodem podcast, you had a comment about X Pac. X Pac said something about wrestling fans. Remember this comment? Yeah. And and I love the comment. What was the quote that he, he used when you interviewed him? He, he said you could give wrestling fans a million dollars and they would complain that it wasn't in singles. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that, and that, and that's what it is. A lot of times. I mean, that's what it is. Like the criticisms of the titles, which. 
We'll talk oh, about it. Oh, God. We'll right. get there. We'll get there. All right. So uh, next up, let's talk about the WWE Championship matchup. A matchup that I was actually hyped for because I thought the build on SmackDown was really nice for this matchup. And um, I thought uh, this was the best Dolph Ziggler has looked since 2011. Um, he was firing on all cylinders. I was hyped for this match. Dolph Ziggler versus Dean Ambrose for the WWE Championship. We get this match. I thought it was a complete and total disappointment. It totally did not live up to expectations in my mind. What did you think? I didn't like the match. I, didn't, I really that – was, that was almost – I hate to say it. But I had to take a bathroom break at some point during the event. Oh wow! Why would you do it during you know if it's during a title? The diva match like segments that, used to yeah, be the bathroom break. That was the bathroom break. The WWE title match is your bathroom break. That was my bathroom break. Oh my or god! It was my you know whatever break. I mean, <laughs> I just I needed a break. I don't know the. I don't. I don't think I. I guess too. I just never. I never believed that Ziggler was going to win it, no matter how the buildup's been. And I do agree. He's been doing some of the strongest stuff he's done in his career, even yeah lately. I just I never believed they were going to give it just give him the run with the belt, um, and I, I was disappointed in Ambrose's match with Lesnar from uh, from Mania. Uh, not disappointed, but it didn't. I don't think that lived up to the hype either. Well, apparently Ambrose was disappointed with it too because he said on the Stone Cold podcast, I think he called Lesnar lazy. Lazy, yeah, yeah, and didn't want to cooperate with some of the stuff that he had planned, and that could be very true. I mean, we don't know entirely what happened behind the scenes. I wasn't blown away by their match um i probably wouldn't be the best judge of it because i was you know hugging the toilet for a while but uh <laughs> wait was i yeah I, wa- I i definitely didn't have my eye on the match i came back i watched it it was what it was but it wasn't when i remember SummerSlam 2016 i'm not going to remember that match yeah it'll be for the it'll be the aj Styles, cena and the lesnar orton so let's talk about dean ambrose because we really don't need to break the match down dean ambrose retains um there have been a lot of people who have been critical of Dean Ambrose. I've been a defender of Dean Ambrose, but even I now must admit that I think I was wrong. I don't think that he is the guy to carry the banner, especially for the WWE Championship. I don't think he's a franchise bona fide main event guy. His interview on the Stone Cold podcast was bizarre. I felt like yeah. this was a guy, he looked like a guy on antidepressants doing an interview. Um, we talked about this before we went on air. We felt like maybe he was fucked up before he did the interview. Yeah, what was he, Snorting Ambien? Yeah, I don't know what was going on. Uh, Austin's asking him questions about factual things that happened in his life. Ambrose is responding to it by saying, well, are you getting your information, the internet? It's like, no, it's, you, you actually you know, talked about these things. Like, you, you know, this is coming from your own mouth. Yeah. Um, and then Ambrose has been putting in, I feel like, one um, one after another performance that just really, to me, is not living up to expectation. I mean, it's, if, if, if you're a banner guy, you're a franchise guy, you're the WWE champion, we've got to have more. Um, and then I hear Mauro Ranallo, who I like, referring to Dean Ambrose as the kingpin. What is that? And that's what I said because, I mean – you and I work together at Reality of Wrestling, and you know from watching the shows and working on them that Brad and I go through great pains to brand-specific talent on the roster because this is a character-driven product. It's a character-driven television show. That's what WWE is. And so it is our job to help get the talent over. 
Um, we do the best job that we can to help highlight the incredible talent that's on the show. And so, you know, if, you, if you're watching the show, like Mysterious Q, for that matter, I call him the franchise, the F-16, the face, because he's all those things, you know? I mean, he, he's, you know, for, for the majority of, of the time that I've been there, he's been our biggest star. And, you know, you got guys like um, Rex Andrews, who is the most dangerous element because of the things that he does in the ring and all those things. And so I hear Mar Ranallo. Call Dean Ambrose the kingpin. Now, either he came up with that idea or Vince or somebody was feeding him this idea that he's the kingpin. So my question is, what in the hell is he the kingpin of? I don't know, but I, I, I do. I'm already confused about his character, mind you. I, I didn't think the lunatic fringe even suited him many times I saw him out there. Like, what? what what's so... I, I don't see the word lunatic. I mean, I, I guess he's a little bizarre in his promos and the way he. I mean, what, what, what's in the lunatic ring, about him? Because what, he bounces off the ropes, wears jeans and uh, and a tank top while he wrestles. Yeah, he looks like a like a greaser or something, or a, a soch, you know. Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I don't I don't. See How do you lunatic. define the term soch for so- our UK <laughs> listeners? <laughs> That's an outsider's uh, <laughs> reference there. Uh, soch, yeah, one of the. I just think of a lot of snapping fingers and uh, <laughs> so what he reminds me of. I don't see anything, and I like Dean Ambrose. Uh, I, I I've admired his work, you know, before that. Me too. You know, I, I really like it. I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if he's not happy with the direction. If he's not happy with, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there has to be something else going on. But ever since that Stone Cold podcast, too. I've really had kind of second thoughts because some of the matches, too, have been, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't all his fault, obviously. It takes two to tango. But, yeah, there's been something a little off. And I don't know what the kingpin, how that applies to him. I mean, what the hell is he the kingpin of? What, I've, I mean, what is he, running liquor across the border? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's in Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, like, yeah, like, uh, what is he the, yeah, like, what is he the kingpin of? What is he, like, is he going to come to the ring wearing a fucking zoot suit and a Tommy gun in his hand? Like, what is he the kingpin of? Yeah, where did that come from? It's he so sounds random. like a villain in Daredevil. Yeah. You know, like... You're the kingpin. And it's not like his character So, I mean, is that how they're trying to brand him? I mean, that's the thing is, like, the point I'm trying to make is this. Like, his work has left something to be desired over the last few months. And on top of that, he's the WWE champion, and his character is in total crisis. Yeah. Because I don't know where his character is. That's something that we should find on the mid-card. Like, when we talk about guys like um, – who the hell were we talking about earlier uh, who wrestled The Miz? Uh, oh, shit. Uh, Apollo Crews. Apollo Crews. See, yeah. his name escaped me. Yeah, I already... His th- name escaped me. I already forgot his name. He's well, the guy who worked the Miz. He's the guy who worked him. the Miz, right? Yeah. Okay. And, and, his, and his, his biggest issue is what? That, that he's missing something from his character. Well, I feel like Dean Ambrose is missing a character. Like, Dean Ambrose can talk. Yeah. But I don't know what his character is. And it's like, like he's the lunatic fringe. Now he's the kingpin. What, what is he? Yeah. So I think like Stone Cold had some valid criticisms on his podcast regarding Dean Ambrose. And if you want to be the if you want to be the franchise guy, if you want to be the guy, uh, quote the guy, then you've got to develop your character. You got to work on that stuff. And then and then the in ring work um, is isn't great either. And that's no. a problem. And I would go I would go on record saying this, and I hate being critical of anything, but uh, as far as the Stone Cold podcast go. I thought that was probably the worst one that they've ever produced. That was awful. It was like I really didn't – I really felt uncomfortable and just – I felt bad for everyone involved. 
like this is a fucking train wreck. We need to just cut our losses and you know i don't know do some sort of beware of dog kind of gimmick like in your house just throw the lights off and say it was like a technical error and just hit the bricks you know like that was uh that wasn't doing any favors for anybody and stone cold didn't look happy about it i don't think there's no way that was worked ahead of time to be like that i just don't believe they would present a piece of steaming shit like that i I really just felt disappointed I, you know, they're both so much better than that too. I mean, really, I, I've got to wonder how much more that Stone Cold's going to want to do on the network. I mean, I know it's good exposure for his podcast, but his podcast is making money anyway. Yeah, it's doing numbers anyway. It was doing numbers before that. I mean, you know, it. it you, know, you go, you go back. Like I, the one he did with Shane McMahon was another one for me, where it was like I love Shane, but that podcast just seems so contrived and scripted. Yeah. And there, and I, I got nothing from it. Like I came, aw- I, I walked away from that podcast thinking to myself, I wasted an hour watching this. Yeah, you know. So the last few episodes of that have not been good. They've, you, you nailed it. Contrived, controlled. Sto- this is not the same Stone Cold podcast we were presented with no. in the beginning on the network. This is a whole different product. This has now been tampered with, and this is the difference. And I hate to do a cheap plug for title match wrestling. But this is what we tr- this plug is the, away. This is the one thing we do. We don't have a budget like uh, WWE does. We'll never have that budget, most likely. We yeah. don't have the stars, the access, the production, any of that stuff. The one thing that we do have is the realism, and it's natural. It's we're no bullshit. There's no filter. The guys can come on. I'll pose a question. They can say whatever the hell they want. I'm not going to edit it down to come up with a certain angle. I'm not trying to create a narrative. WWE, you cannot have. On the Stone Cold podcast, Dean Ambrose come out and and make some of the comments that he normally would. He's he, there's a filter now. Now now it's being overseen. You can even tell by Stone Cold's questions; they're not as raw anymore. They're not as controversial anymore. Mm. They're not as edgy. They're yeah. not as interesting in the end. So they can have all the production in the world. The and the biggest example I think is I don't know if you saw the the table of three they did with the NWO characters. The, no. It was Nash Hall and last Xbox. one I watched was the one with the horseman. Okay, yeah. Which another great idea, good execution. It just seems it just doesn't seem natural to me. A lot of them. And if you go and watch those interviews, which were conducted, I believe the same weekend we interviewed X Pac and Scott Hall. Yeah. You can check out those interviews in their entirety, thirty minutes and forty five minutes. Watch their watch their answers to their questions on that, and then watch that interview on the network, and you'll see the difference. We might not have the production quality, yeah. but we're not changing the narrative. There's no, um, there's nothing that we're trying to push here. Which, at all. by the way, it's, it's an interesting story, kind of off topic a little bit. But when we were all in Dallas for WrestleMania weekend, we met up randomly on the grassy knoll, yeah, where John Kennedy lost his life. And this was so bizarre because Brad and I are out there taking in the sights. We had some time off um, from the events that weekend. And we run into you and your crew randomly. And you guys were just – were you just coming from an interview or you were headed somewhere else? I don't I remember. I think we were going to interview Sa- – I think we had just interviewed Sabu maybe. Okay. Or but we were stopping for lunch, I think, and we were going to check out the grassy knoll and all that yeah. and then go do some other Is that not the creepiest thing? It really is. It's yeah. really creepy, especially like because we're in the parking lot behind the grassy knoll where people claim they saw folks running away um, with a gun after Kennedy was killed. Not from the the book depository building, and there are the, there's this fence post, and every single post is attached to the fence except for one. And you look through that fence post, and it's a direct line of sight onto the the X 
They literally drew an X on the street exactly where Kennedy was killed. It's the perfect shot. Here it is. It's and everyone's running shot. in the middle of the street trying to get, like, selfies with traffic coming at them. Right. I mean, it's, it's really... Just dumbasses. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, talk about narrative. Yeah. You know, there you go. Uh-huh. So put your tinfoil hat on. Um, all right. So next up on, uh, on SummerSlam was Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins for the brand new WWE Universal Championship, uh, a brand spanking new title made with a red strap. Yeah. So much backlash. So much no, – no pun intended. So much backlash. So much hatred for this championship. That for about the first 10 minutes of this match, the fans were chanting, this belt sucks. Now, these are the same fans that a a Finn Balor-Seth Rollins match would be a wet dream. It's SummerSlam. They're having a match for the Universal Championship, regardless of how you feel about the way the title looks. This is a match that you guys would die to see. You're seeing it, and you're shitting all over a prop for the first 10 minutes of the match. I have been a huge proponent of the fans exercising their right to say and do whatever they want as long as they're not, you know, breaking any laws or anything like that because WWE is always asking for audience participation. But I felt like that was extremely disrespectful to to, to the performance in this matchup, number one. Seth Rollins echoed those sentiments uh, on on Twitter later that night. Um, But did you hear these chants? And what did you think of all this? And what do you think this backlash regarding the, the, the title and the way it looks? It's like bandwagon backlash. Like a few, a, a very select few people have a problem with it, and everyone jumps on that. Like because they think it's cool to do it. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, like it's cool to pay that kind of money and go through that kind of trouble to go to the live show to bitch about the most petty thing involving the match. I mean, especially when the belt, the belt. All right, they present the belt. All right, it's now out of the scene. The match is going on, and they're still not over it. Like, what are you, like, prepubescent, like, school yeah. schoolgirls? Like, I mean, did your, your first crush let you down? I mean, I'm sorry to, you know, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't jerking off over the belt either. Like, oh, that was the greatest thing. I didn't really even think twice about it. Like, oh, okay, that's the new belt. That's what they – it's different. Um, I'm not a big mark for belts anyway. It's, it's a prop. It's more about the champion, in my opinion, whoever makes the belt, what it's supposed to mean. It didn't really bother me. I was more interested in the match. I thought they had a hell of a match, and it took away from it. I'm going to say this right now, and this is going to, I think, make a lot of people feel better about the belt. I have actually talked to a few people close to uh, WWE that made this title, and they have told me that the strap itself is made from the, the fabric of the pants worn by Shinsuke Nakamura. I think we can all sleep better at night now. So you're going to feel better about that now, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, congratulations to, to Nakamura who captured the NXT championship at TakeOver the night before in Brooklyn. Um, so then this match takes place. And um, I thought it was a pretty decent match. I wasn't overwhelmed by it. Uh, then there is the classic uh, turnbuckle powerbomb, but it's a powerbomb actually into the barricade. I didn't know at the time that Finn Balor had been injured, uh, tore his shoulder as a result of this. Uh, the, the, the latest talent, major talent, to be injured in a match with Seth Rollins. So Seth Rollins, if we're going back... And we're recapping all of this. Seth Rollins broke John Cena's nose pretty yeah. severely in a match mm-hmm. uh, roughly eight or nine months ago, I think. Um, Sting's final match of his career was with Seth Rollins. He took two turnbuckle power bombs and basically couldn't feel anything from the neck down for a few seconds afterwards after the second. Yeah. Um, his career ended uh, that night. 
and now this latest move, a powerbomb to the barricade. And Finn Balor captures the WWE Universal Championship 24 hours later, has to drop that title because he needs shoulder surgery and will be out for six months. Now, Bret Hart had some comments regarding this because, you know, good old Bret Hart um, can't help but interject himself uh, into the conversation when it comes to this. And um, he said the following. Uh, I take no great pleasure in saying I told you so, but if you're a professional wrestler and you keep hurting opponents or yourself, clearly you're doing it wrong. I wrestled a very realistic and physical style not once in 23 years did I ever hurt one opponent ever. Seth Rollins needs to improve his technique and become the safest wrestler in the business. I have a great respect for Seth. I believe he'll improve and hopefully stop hurting the talent before someone gets (laughs) killed. What are your thoughts on the comments from Bret Hart? Bret's been pretty critical of Seth Rollins, and now he's claiming that if this doesn't stop, Seth's going to kill somebody. It's hard to disagree with some of what Bret Hart's saying, and especially coming from the source. I mean, he's, he's done it um, at the highest level and been so successful for so many years. Yeah. Uh, thinking back, though, with Seth Rollins – and how many times the WWE has had to change course in their storylines now because of... Something he's been involved in. Yeah. The John Cena thing. They made a storyline out of the, the breaking of the nose. That's fine. The Sting thing. What matches was Sting going to have at WrestleMania after that? Was he going to work The Undertaker? Was he going to do another program with someone else? What could have happened if Seth Rollins had not performed that move? Finn Balor... Arguably one of the biggest pushes that WWE, probably the biggest. I think uh, it's the biggest ever. Probably the biggest ever. I, I mean, couldn't believe that they gave it to him. In four weeks, they, they, they anointed this guy probably the second, maybe third biggest star in the whole company. And in a matter of 24 hours, it's like, it's okay, over. it's over. Now they have to scratch that and go to, what do you do? I mean, you have to have some sort of tournament like they're doing now, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean. Seth Rollins wrestles a style that is different than Bre- how Bret Hart was wrestling. It's not it's more. F- it's more dangerous. The, the moves that they're doing. Bret Hart was not performing some of these no. moves. Um, so, and it's like we talked about with the Miz earlier. Yeah, he makes less mean more. And I understand that Seth Rollins is CrossFit Jesus. I get that, and I love that about Seth Rollins. I love Seth Rollins. Don't get me wrong. Seth Rollins. Even still, it's probably my, my favorite or second favorite talent in the company. He's incredible. Uh, he, is, he is incredible. He's gotten better on the mic, as you pointed out earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that he can do in the ring are outstanding. Here's my issue. They banned the curb stomp, not because the curb stomp was dangerous, but because of the perception of the curb stomp with traumatic brain injury, uh, CTE, and all that stuff right now. Yeah. So they banned that move because of the way it's perceived. The perception of it, not because it's actually dangerous, but he's still able to turnbuckle bomb a 50-plus-year-old veteran in a match, ends his career, does it to Finn Balor. Now, there's a lot of speculation about how Finn took that bump. I'm not a worker. I'm not going to speculate on that. But I am going to say that if he doesn't put his arm back to brace himself, there's a possibility he could have cracked his skull open. We don't know. Why isn't WWE banning that move? That's a great question. I'd love to know the answer to that, They too. banned the pile driver. Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, after well, – well, did they ban it after Austin took the bump from Owen, or did they ban it later on? I think they banned it later on. Um, it started to be used less 
Um, you know, it, it's interesting. By the way, I want to shout this out real quick. Another great podcast uh, you, you want to check out, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Uh, it's a new podcast just came out, and his latest episode, Bruce Pritchard actually talks about this and talks about how if he were still um, writing this or involved in it in any way, um, he wouldn't be banning these moves overall. He would be allowing the talent to make these decisions based upon their experience and whether they're comfortable enough with each other to do this stuff. But the problem, I think, with that idea, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with Bruce because obviously he has much more experience than I have. But the, the, the issue, I think, that comes from that is Sting had to sign off on those turnbuckle bombs. And now Sting's career is over. Finn had to sign off on that, 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 that power bomb into the barricade. And now he's out for half a year. He may not even be back in time for WrestleMania. So sometimes you have to take the power out of the hands of the talent. You have to make these determinations on your own. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they are going to push the boundaries, especially on a, on a stage like SummerSlam. Especially Seth. Yeah. Seth has proven that he's going to push it. And I, I love Seth, too. It's hard to be critical of him. But, yeah, some of those moves. And that wasn't the only move. I saw several during that match where I was like, oh, God, that looked really close. There was one. What was that move that he hadn't pulled out in a while? It was almost like a... Uh, like a, a brain, almost like a brain buster, like package brain buster kind of deal that he did on. Oh, the suplex into the inside cradle. Yeah, yeah. Like even just a move like that, like Ooh, okay, that was a little close for me. I don't know yeah. how comfortable, I, but that wasn't enough. Like moves like that are enough. His matches and a lot of the guys. That whole there's so many guys that wrestle that style now to where nothing is ever enough to where they have to keep up in the ante. They have to keep doing this. It's the Ring of Honor style. It's unbelievable. You know, it, 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 it's, it, it's the Young Buck style. It's, it, it's, it's the fucking Meltzer driver. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like we have to push the envelope, but pushing the envelope sometimes either heads into the, into the realm of absurdity or it heads into the realm of someone is going to get fucking hurt because of this. Yeah. And I think we're there now. And so I guess my question is, if Seth is forced to dial back on some of this stuff, will he be as successful as a talent for WWE as he was prior? I don't know. I was wondering that watching Neville on Raw the other night, every move that he was doing was the most spectacular high spot after he had just performed it. And I, yeah. I, all I kept thinking is, if they took away this move set, and the same with Seth Rollins, will he be as effective? What is his character going to be if he's not doing all this crazy shit Every single time we see him wrestle. Yeah. You know, I don't know the answer to that. The Miz knows the answer to that. The Miz definitely knows the answer to that. I mean, it's like, and I posed this question the other night uh, on Twitter, and I said, um, you know, who is the, um, who, who is better, or who's not, not better, who's a more complete performer in the company right now than the Miz? Who's a more complete performer? I'm not saying there are other ones that aren't as complete as him, but who are more complete. And I have people tweeting at me multiple talents. I'm sorry, but... That's just not the case. Like what, what, what you're seeing from The Miz is it's so old school. It, it is exactly what Brett has been talking about. And I don't agree with Brett on some stuff. I, and I think Brett's bitter on a lot of issues. I think he has a right to be bitter on some of them. Sure. For sure. I mean, I understand why Brett uh, can be bitter. I mean, but with that being said, I mean, The Miz is doing more with less and I think that is what leads to not only career longevity, but an ability to protect the people that you're working with. And it's clear now to me, even though I didn't want to admit this prior, I think part of my judgment was clouded just because of how big of a fan I am of Seth. I mean, he rearranged Cena's face. Mm -hmm. He ended Sting's <clears throat> career. 
And now Finn Balor is out for half a year because he worked with him. On the like, heels of the biggest push that anyone has probably I got. No. Like these are not tragic coincidences. This is a pattern of behavior, and it needs to be corrected. And I don't see how, you know, this Monday night, they're going to crown a new WWE Universal Champion in this fatal four-way match. I don't, and it's going to be Roman. It'll be Roman, Seth, Big Cass, and Kevin Owens. And I don't see how they go in the direction of putting that title on Seth Rollins without knowing for a fact that, him injuring or being involved in the injury of some of the big talents in the company isn't going to come to an end. They've got to straighten that out first. They really do. And I don't know what the answer is either. And I'm not, I'm, I'm with you and I'm not a proponent. And I hope the fans that are listening don't misinterpret that as I don't want to see a bunch of like every match being a headlock or something like that. I know this kind of style is popular. This is what people You're want to see. You're not a fan of the abdominal stretch? Yeah, I mean, as much as I want to see some <laughs> of those moves implemented, you know, I, I like some of that old school style. It kind of gives a, a little breathing room to the match. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not a constant. It's like uh, Raven said on one of the interviews we did, cheap plug, uh, go watch it on Title Match Wrestling. Uh, <laughs> he was saying, you know, after you see too many high spots, it's just masturbation after a while. And yeah. it's just the same shit. And you, you, you can't really even remember or retain yeah. the amount of moves that they did or what they were doing. So, Seth, I don't know what the answer is. I think he needs to dial it down for sure. Or, you know, pick <laughs> at least pick a couple moves that you're going to do, showcase them during the match. And like you said, less is a hell of a lot more in almost every case. You know, the fans are going to leave happy, some of them. Some but, of them. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, definitely got to dial it back a little bit. All right, so uh, let's move on and talk about uh, what everyone's been talking about this week. There's been a lot of conflicting reports behind who knew what and what exactly happened. Obviously, we're we're skipping the Roman Reigns-Rusev match because it really wasn't a match at all. So let's get into Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton. This was the headline for SummerSlam. Uh, It was a physical confrontation. It was an entertaining confrontation. It was a violent confrontation. Yeah. But it ended with Randy Orton bleeding like a stuffed pig in the middle of the ring. It looked like the guy had lost a pint of blood or more in a matter of seconds. This was a shocking ending. There's been a lot of conjecture and speculation regarding whether or not the end of this matchup was the planned finish, whether it was a work, whether it was a shoot, whether it was a combination of the two. Information has been leaked to the dirt sheets regarding the fact that this was the planned finish. Some people were upset with it. There was a confrontation, quite honestly, a fight backstage between Chris Jericho and Brock Lesnar. What say you about what we saw here? When I watched it the first time, first of all, I I know a lot of fans will probably disagree with me on this. I enjoyed the match. I really enjoyed the match. For the fact that it was it was different than what we saw, I believe if it was a real fight between the two, something similar would occur. Brock Lesnar would dominate most of the match or most of the fight. Orton would get a couple spots in here or there. But in the end, we all knew what was going to happen. Lesnar's going to win the match. I, I enjoyed it. I didn't know at first if it was a work because it's, it's outside of what WWE normally does. So it, right. gra- it grabbed my attention. Uh, when I saw it, especially when the cut happened. Now, when he got, when Lesnar got back on top of Orton to pummel him after that, 
I was like, okay, his punches are really light now. He he either is concerned that he's hurt and something didn't ha- and something went wrong, or he's you know continuing and just trying to kind of ease off a little bit. But then when Shane McMahon came out, that's when I really started to wonder, like, is this what what the hell is he doing? Um, I st- I still maintain that I think it was a work. Watching it back now, I I, I didn't know that night at first. But after seeing it again, I do think it was a work. But I I can see the argument being made as to maybe there was part shoot at the end. Because I don't believe that they would have intentionally had the title match only be, what, 10, 12 minutes, whatever it was. It seemed way shorter than a lot of other matches. And I'm no, just the, not, main, the main event. The main event, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure they would have booked it that way. But then again, it grabbed my attention. It got all of us talking. So maybe it was the planned finish. I, I thought it was a work. But I, I, I'd love to hear what you think about it. You know, I've been arguing back and forth with people on social media all week about this because I can't imagine for the life of me that a publicly traded company that has a quarterly investor call every few months and has to answer questions about the direction of a company that people own shares in would allow and would greenlight something like this to happen. Blading apparently has been outlawed in WWE. So you mean to tell me that instead of doing that, you're going to, according to the report, which is being floated by the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which, by the way, um, they reported, I think, like 20 different attendance numbers for WrestleMania, which you know, I pointed out on this show. So yeah. I don't know how accurate they really are. Um, the point is – how you doing, Dave? The point is why would they green light – one of their performers, one of the biggest stars in the history of the company who just came back from injury, who was out for almost a year, why would they greenlight him being struck in the head violently with an elbow to tear him open? He had a six-inch gash in width on his head. Looked like it was about a half-inch deep. Needed 10 staples to close his head. You mean to tell me that when Orton got to the building, they told him, this is what we'd like you to do? And then because Orton agreed to it, they went ahead with it? I don't believe at all that any company that plans on making money tomorrow, especially a publicly traded company, would allow something like that to happen. That they would not only allow something like that to happen, they would script something like that to happen. I think Brock got a little reckless here. I think Brock – or not Brock. I think Brock kind of went off script here a little bit. And I think as a result, they had to call an audible here. And the audible was – I mean, when you see him strike him with that elbow, you look at the reaction of Paul Heyman. That's a genuine reaction. Paul Heyman's shocked at that point. Brock backs off. You can hear Heyman talking to Brock before Brock gets back on to Orton. I don't know if Heyman called the audible. I don't know if Orton called the audible. I don't know if Brock called the audible. But I feel like that was a mistake by Brock Lesnar. Somebody called this on the fly for him to get back on Orton. They sent out Shane, and ever since then, WWE has been leaking information to make this seem like it was a work because, as we've seen so far, the rules don't apply to Brock Lesnar. Sure. They simply don't because Brock is perceived by WWE as being too much of a draw to screw with. He's the Peyton Manning of, uh, of the WWE. Bingo. It, it's, it, it's why Brock was able to, according to reports— negotiate on the fly a UFC 200 fight before he went out at WrestleMania 32 
to do his uh, to do business with uh, with Dean Ambrose. It's why he was able to tear John Cena open in their match, and nothing was done. It's why the guy has just failed two drug tests issued by USADA. And WWE says that our wellness policy doesn't apply to him because he's a part-time performer. It's why he's able to tear open a 12-time world heavyweight champion and one of the biggest stars in the history of WWE, and nothing happens to him. And they run interference on this thing. That's the way that I feel about this. There's not very many performers in the history of the company. Not even Stone Cold Steve Austin could set the terms of his contract without Vince telling him to go to hell and then them writing in that, that Steve took his ball and went home. But Brock Lesnar, I think, can do this. I think there are different rules that apply to Brock Lesnar, and I think that's what we're seeing. I do agree that there are different rules, and I think that's plausible the way you're doing it because it wouldn't be the first time that the WWE has put out their own um, information to cover up something, and, and everyone does that. It's not just to pinpoint WWE, but why let um, the truth get in the way of a good story? Right. You know, um, I think it's plausible that that may have been the, the the finish they were going for. Maybe it was too deep. Maybe maybe the ref called it. You're right. Maybe somebody called it inaudible there because the thing with Shane, I wasn't I, I wasn't too sure what was going on there, and I swear I heard Shane say F five. You know, like in the middle of the the bickering back and forth, yeah. and then it seemed like immediately after that he hit the F five. Now, um, I, I I would say from the WWE's perspective, the a way that they would have booked this to to where it would happen legit, just like this. If you think about the perception, Brock just had his fight at UFC. He he pretty much dominated the fight. The second round was a little shaky, but he pretty much dominated the fight. Then, not so long later, he's fighting Randy Orton at the main event of SummerSlam. You're mean to tell me that Randy Orton would stand any chance against a trained fighter beast like Brock Lesnar after being out for a year? I think it's possible they were trying to include maybe the realism. Because how, how do you book Brock after he's fighting UFC 2? Right. He's tearing apart trained professionals, these monsters. How is anyone going to have a legitimate chance I, I, I mean, and, 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 I, and I think, I think a, a similar finish to that match very well may have been booked. But to the point where, listen, Joey Styles lost his job at WWE a few weeks ago. Yeah. And the rumor floating around, I'm not confirming this by saying, I'm saying it's a rumor is that Styles lost his job because of some of the things he said on a Facebook Q&A. And one of those things included him talking about why Roman Reigns is booked the way he is, and it's because moms love Roman. Why would that same WWE, if all that's true, let's pretend that it is, okay. that moms and kids love Roman, and that's why he is where he is, why would they book a finish where a shoot elbow is going to tear open Randy Orton and he's going to bleed on the mat like a horror film? Why would they book that? That's a good question. It seems like it's in complete and total contrast and conflict with what WWE's vision is for its product. The whole match was a com- seemed like a complete different vision than the entire product even. Right. Um, you're right. I don't know why they would book that while you have, you know. <laughs> it's just, I mean, we're not talking about a random uh, pay-per-view or house show. We're talking about SummerSlam, a show that. They are putting the same sort of pomp and circumstance into now as a WrestleMania. This is their second biggest show of the year. Right. And it ended with Randy Orton laying in a pool of his own blood. It looked like a horror movie. It did seem odd. I I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is to this. It, it just – it seemed weird. 
But Lesnar, I mean, we know he doesn't play by the same rules. Billy Gunn lost his job, a guy that was there for, God, I mean, he was around since the smoking guns days, you know, 93, 94, whatever. He lost his job over, what did he fail, a drug test or something? He, uh... I think it was. A, I think it was a drug test. Drug test, something like I that. I think it was a wellness policy thing. How many people have been suspended? Even Roman Reigns is not above the law. So Brock Lesnar is definitely not playing by the same rules. He's the Hillary Clinton of the WWE. Sorry if I offended any uh, <laughs> hardcore Democrats out there, but yeah, I mean he's he literally plays by a different set of rules. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't think we're going to see any repercussions, regardless if. No, I think I mean, and, and that's why I think what what we saw here was Brock making a mistake and them calling an audible on the fly, and now trying to cover this as if it, it's a, it's a work. But I've got to imagine that when they have their quarterly investor call, someone's going to ask about this, and what are they going to say? What are they going to say? If I'm a sponsor and I'm saying, "What was that?" If you're WWE, what's your response? Oh, that was part of the show. Yeah, I mean, I would say that definitely. If this, let's say this was a work, though. Let's just hypothetically say that this was all part of the the plan. This was so good that it fooled Chris Jericho backstage, and it fooled a lot of wrestlers, you know, that I've talked to too, that did not know that that still did not know when it happened the difference. Yeah, are they that smart to where they fooled us, or did they literally go off script and try to cover it up? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, and that, and that's been the great debate all week. So. It's- I don't know. Um, but uh, let me know what you think. Tweet at the show at PW underscore index on Twitter. Do you think the finish to the Brock Lesnar-Randy Orton match was a shoot? Or do you think it was a work, brother? Uh, now we're going to get into some of our Twitter questions, our social media questions this week. We have a lot of them, and I'm going to try and get to as many as I can. Um, and thank you, everybody, for participating and listening to the show every single week. So um, let me see here. I got a lot. Why don't we start with Nathan Stalker at Voice of Nathan on Twitter, a regular listener of the show. This question is about Ember Moon. Ember Moon, yeah. Uh, who, who we're very familiar with, a, a Reality of Wrestling alum, uh, known in Reality of Wrestling as the wrestling goddess Athena. And the question is, is Ember Moon going to be built as the first person to beat Asuka in NXT? What do you think about this? Man, I've been She's impressed. had a big buildup so far. Big buildup. She had the vignettes. If you want to check out, not another cheap plug, but we plug away. Have, we've got, I believe, <laughs> the last exclusive interview, or the I, I, I believe we broke that story too, as far as her hinting that she was going to NXT. We knew she was going to NXT, but we couldn't say anything. We didn't want to screw up her uh, debut and all that. But anyway, check that out, Title Match Wrestling on YouTube. We've got the exclusive with Ember Moon. Anyway, uh, I think I think she's incredible. From I, I mean, there is a. A great argument to be made that she can be the first one to beat Asuka. And I believe that a segment that she did with Bailey backstage this week seemed like almost a passing of the torch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about Ember Moon's promos yet. I haven't seen a whole lot of it. I think there's always room for improvement everywhere, but her in-ring work is incredible. And as far as the women go, she's been uh, one of the best-kept secrets on the independents for years now. And it's great to her, see her finally get a shot. She's uh, phenomenal, and I think she—I think she very well could be the one to do it. She's an incredible talent. I mean, she is incredible in the ring. She's an amazing athlete. Yeah, she's fantastic to look at. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's the perfect storm, I think, for the women's division. And especially with what I see them doing on SmackDown, I, I don't think it will take her very long in NXT. 
before they make a call up over there for the SmackDown women's division. Maybe she'll find herself on Raw. I don't know. But I, I um, you know, so I, do, do I think that she could be the first person to beat Asuka? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think she could. But I, I, see, uh, I see an even brighter future ahead for her. Um, I think she's got all the tools that, that you're looking for for a female athlete um, on, on either WWE roster, whether it be SmackDown or Raw. And she's another person that I believe, too, can work with anybody that they have on the roster and, and bring a good match. Out we, we, we saw her do it in reality of wrestling. Oh, I man. Mean, we, we, saw, we saw her do it there um, with two talents, which are also fantastic, but not quite as experienced as she is. And she put together an amazing triple threat match with them. They were elevated every time that she worked with her, with her opponents. Yeah, for a- sure. Absolutely. Um, next question comes from Shane at uh, Shane2901 on Twitter, another regular listener of the show. Thanks for your question, Shane. Um, he said, is Nakamura's entrance at TakeOver the most beautiful thing ever? Did you see this? Yeah, it was, uh, it was beautiful. It was pretty it was, damn cool, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a thing of beauty. What a... What an amazing acquisition, and so cool that they're actually doing what a lot of the fans have wanted, you know, to, to have him showcase th- that way. Yeah, to answer your question, Shane, absolutely. That was a thing of beauty, and it was uh, a privilege to see that. And even going back to his match with Sami Zayn at, uh, uh, was it during WrestleMania weekend Yeah, that he had? I mean, that was another fantastic match. So, yeah, I mean, his entrance is probably the best thing going as far as entrances go. Definitely in NXT, maybe in all of wrestling. You know, right now, NXT's women's champion is from Japan. The NXT champion is from Japan. This is a real revolution within WWE right now. It's the first time that they've... I mean, listen, Japanese stars in WWE have come a long way from chopping off Val Venus's penis. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah, the days of bringing Taka Michinoku <laughs> in to wrestle nobody is... Uh, <laughs> you know, this is interesting. I don't want to interrupt this, but we did have... Oh, please, an, We did ahead. have an exclusive with Daniel Bryan during WrestleMania 31 weekend. Yeah. And this is the first time, and I'm not going to take credit for this, but I will say this is the first time I ever heard Shinsuke Nakamura mentioned by anybody in WWE on camera ever. So Daniel Bryan, I think, is directly responsible for a lot of what we're seeing now. He said in that interview, the one guy I want to see in WWE is Shinsuke Nakamura. And he put him over and talked about the kind of match that they would have. And I remember reading the comments, and so many people overwhelmingly were saying, he's never going to come to the WWE. WWE does not know how to manage um, people from over there, and Japanese wrestlers. They always screw it up. There's not going to have a partnership. It's not going to happen. And what do we see now? We've got Asuka. We've got Hideo Itami, uh, Kenta. We've got um, Shinsuke Nakamura now. And pretty much for the most part, they've all been dominant and and very well received and well booked for the most part in, uh, in their efforts, I think. I mean, I think they've been booked perfectly. I mean, I think they've been given an opportunity. They've been given a real platform. I mean, this this is what NXT is about. It's a, you know, and I I mean, look at a talent like Bailey right now, and and I say to myself, like, would she have made it on on the main roster just a few years ago? And I don't think she would. I I don't think her character would have. Um, I don't think she would have, even though she's a tremendous worker. Um, she's a, she's a great talent, but I think NXT has given. These amazing talents. I mean, you look at some of the more prominent stars that were featured on SummerSlam. Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, um, Enzo and Cass, yeah. just to name a few. Sami Zayn was there. All these guys have come up. Uh, Seth Rollins. Sure. All of them have come up from NXT. Every single one of them have come up from this system. It's proof the system is working. 
It is working. Yeah, they were stars other places, but even Finn Balor will admit, if you listen to Chris Jericho's podcast from, I think it was last week or the week before with Finn Balor, he talks about when he got to NXT, he thought to himself, what do I have to learn here? You know, I've been in Japan for 10 years. What could I possibly learn here? He said Terry Taylor in six months taught him how to add 10 years to his career. Now, he just lost six months of it because of, yeah. uh, of taking the power bomb in the barricade. But um, the point is, is that the system is working. And you have these characters that otherwise I don't think would have ever developed and found themselves on the main roster in WWE that are now there, courtesy of what NXT allows them to do. You're right. It's the most essential piece of the puzzle that WWE had been missing for years, even though they had developmentals before, yeah. but not on the level of NXT where they actually get to work outside of the same audience every month to actually go on the, on the road. They were down here in Houston before. They're now making – I mean, they're going overseas now. They're going to the east coast of the U.S. for a few dates now coming up. That is absolutely the breeding ground for the next generation, and they're actually – they're making it work. They're yeah. absolutely making it work. They are for sure. Uh, okay, so the next question is from Killian Murphy at Round in HO53 on Twitter. Thanks for your question, Killian. Uh, the question is tossing people into the barricade, question mark. Even with padding, it's still dangerous. Thoughts? Well, I think we discussed it a little bit on here, but um, uh, I guess just quick, quick, quick fire. Yes or no? Should they ban the move? The turnbuckle powerbomb, the powerbomb into the barricade. Should it be banned? No, uh, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Should that should that one time prevent anyone else from using that? Is it necessary? I don't even know if it's completely necessary to have. But should it be an all-out ban? No, I think they should. I think they should tease to it that that Seth is going to do it. I think they did that a little bit on Raw afterwards, to where that adds another element to his character. To that. Um, I don't think it should be banned, but I think it should be incorporated into a storyline somehow, maybe uh, a gimmick ban, mm. you know, through the show or something like that would be cool. But overall ban, I, I personally don't think so. But You know, I think I, I, I sort of side with what Bruce Pritchard said on the podcast. Um, now I, I do think WWE needs to make these calls, not just the talent themselves, but I, I do think that it's, it's not about a move necessarily as much as it is about perhaps – either a style change or um, no, kind of a style change. I, I think Seth Rollins and other talents like Seth have got to look at this and say, what can I do in terms of getting more with less, like we talked about with Miz? Yeah. Whereas like a move like that or a spot like that can be used for a big moment, but it shouldn't be used for every match. Sure. He shouldn't be hitting someone with a turnbuckle powerbomb in every match he's in. And just about every match he's in, he uses it. And not only do I think it makes the moves mean less when you're using a spot like that all the time, but I think it increases the likelihood for injury. Yeah. And so I think a, a sort of style change or adjustment is necessary. And not just for Seth. I think for a lot of these guys that are they're doing high risk. I mean, you see just about everybody in, 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 in the company from um, Adrian Neville to Big E are doing topes or suicide dives to the outside. What the hell is – why the hell is Big E doing a, a suicide dive for the ropes? The suicide dive to me has been so overused. So to point, overused. To the point where Ambrose does it. You said it. Big E. Um, I mean, Daniel Bryan Daniel was doing Bryan. it before, before doing that. Ended up costing him his career. Yeah. And um, all, all that. You know what's interesting is what we didn't bring up earlier is Seth Rollins. We, had, we named the three injuries. 
that he's caused other people. What about the injury that happened to him just on a house show? Right. Like, it was a freak move, but it's the, it's his style overall is very dangerous. And I, I just hope that with the new crop of talent that we have now, we're not going to see more Daniel Bryans uh, down the line to where they've given so much for a shorter amount of time that their career is going to be over by the time they're even like 40. Yeah. You know, I mean, how much, how many more years of Seth Rollins can they have as opposed to how Bret Hart worked and the longevity he had before he met Bill Goldberg? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know, but. You bring up an interesting point too, because not only are these talents working more dangerous styles, they're working more dates. Yeah. I mean, these guys are on the road all the time. They're not giving themselves an opportunity to rest. They're not being given an opportunity to rest. And then they're working dangerous, high-risk styles all the time, and it's shortening careers. I mean, we're seeing it. We saw it with Edge. We see it with Daniel Bryan. We're going to see it with other talent as well. Yeah. Guys who are retiring in their 30s. It's ridiculous. And some of those guys, not, uh, not a knock on the size of any of these guys, but take a Daniel Bryan. We, when we interviewed him, I'm standing next to him. I'm not a big guy. Yeah. But I'm towering over Daniel Bryan, and I'm thinking, how is this man's body take? First of all, how is he taking it all the punishment up to this point that he's gone through? How how much longer? And it wasn't much longer after that till your career is over. Yeah. And I mean, how many guys that are a lot smaller in stature that are doing these high risk moves all the time? What's the longevity going to be like in their careers? Yeah. And you know, Vince has been accused of having a size fetish, but I think what it comes down to is I think. Vince looks at guys who are bigger and says, I can get more out of them. They're doing less in the ring. Totally. That's why Vince, Vince uh, loves big cats is because here's a guy that can talk. He's seven feet tall. He's a body guy. He can work, but he's not going to go. You're not going to see big cats do a suicide dive through the ropes. No. You're not going to see a big cast trying to do a fucking CrossFit powerbomb, you know? Sure. Or whatever. I mean, that's not going to happen. Hogan wasn't doing those things. And Hogan made you money for nine years. That's the thing. People talk about work rate and who the best wrestlers. I don't give a shit. I, I, I look at paychecks and, and gate and attendance numbers and stuff like that. Who, who's drawn the most money by, yeah. by doing the least? Who's my favorite the WrestleMania match in history is Rock Hogan, WrestleMania 18. Oh, my God. Now, now, that's, that's not a, that's not a, a, a technical uh, five-star, um, you know. That's not, that's not the war and peace of wrestling. No. It's not. No. But they told a story. That I will never forget. I was so emotionally invested in that. Me too. And the fans were, everyone that was in attendance, everyone that was watching will never forget that. It's incredible. To the point where you can almost, unless we have really good memories or look it up, I mean, I remember the rest of the card, but do we really remember the rest of the card? No. Who, who cares what else happened that night? That was the match, and you're right. They got the best, the most out of the least. Yeah, and I mean, and, and that's, that's what wrestling is supposed to be about. Uh, our next question is from Monther Buhindi on Twitter, at Monther Buhindi. Uh, and he says, I'm more invested in the character storyline development on SmackDown than Raw. It has a bit of an NXT feel to it, thoughts. Well, let me start off by saying that I am actually more invested in SmackDown for a number of reasons. Number one, because I feel like many more characters are intertwined. I like the Talking Smack segment that comes on after SmackDown as well. I think they're adding a lot there. Here's the other point. And I've noticed this with Lucha Underground, too. I don't know if you've watched any Lucha. Yeah, I'm a fan of them, too. Lucha Underground is a one-hour show. SmackDown is a two-hour show. Mm-hmm. Raw is a three-hour show. When you have less time, your segments mean more. Absolutely. And if they don't mean more, that's a failure of your writers and the director and the producer of the show. 
The segments on SmackDown mean more. The way the show is shot, the way the characters being presented. I agree with Munther. I think this the, the show has a much bigger NXT feel, I think even right now, than NXT does. And, uh, and for that, I think it's working. And uh, right now, the, um, the ratings are pretty similar between the two. I think SmackDown has an opportunity here, despite the fact that Raw is being called the flagship show, to overtake Raw at some point. What do you think? Yeah, especially when it comes to the lead-ins that they're dealing with, especially when it comes to the competition for, on Mondays versus Tuesdays. There's a lot of different elements into play, and I think SmackDown has a real opportunity to capitalize on all that. Um, I do agree that SmackDown is becoming... It's it's a, it's fresher to me too. It's it's not as drawn out on Raw. Raw, I'm I'm fatigued by watching it on DVR every week. I work till pretty late on Mondays. I never get to see the show live. I can't imagine what it is for people to watch that live. I mean, without just make sure there's nothing sharp around while you're watching it. Because I mean, yeah, you know, seriously. I mean, Jesus. Some of those segments they go on forever. You know, forever. the interviews they never end. And uh, you know, there's only so much you can take. SmackDown, much more refined, much more what we saw during the Attitude Era, even with, uh, you know, when it was two hour before they started to compete with Nitro. Later on, with a three hour broadcast. Um, it's nice and it's refreshing to see. Yeah, I agree. It's great. Very promising. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of what's going on over on SmackDown right now. Real quick, before we, uh, before we get into our cheap plugs, um, the titles. There's been a lot that have been made of the titles. We talked about it a little bit uh, when we were reviewing uh, the Balor Seth Rollins thing. So now they've debuted new tag team titles on SmackDown. Have you seen these things? Uh, yeah. yeah. And they've debuted a women's championship for SmackDown as well. Some people are upset that a lot of these titles look similar to each other. Mm-hmm. So upset to the fact that there, there's so much Twitter fume over props. What, how, how, what's your position on all of this? Do people well, need to calm down, or do they have a point here? Well, it's the same people that think. I mean, if they're going to get mad at the belts, and they have to get mad at the characters too for all looking alike too for so many years. I mean, now we're getting away from it, but you know, for a while, a lot of the characters I felt like had the same kind of build, same kind of look, same kind of move set. So, I mean, to me, that's more important than the belts anyway. To me, it's more of the wrestler than the belt. I'm not a big mark for belts, so I I, I don't see the big deal of it. But I know a lot of people that are really enthusiastic about the belts that have large collections that are very emotionally invested in it. I don't give a shit either way. As long as they have something around, I'm not too meticulous in the details, honestly. Yeah. But I like the new tag team titles on SmackDown. I think they look dope. I think they look pretty sweet, too. I wasn't a fan of the Gladiator helmet belts, but I think it was more or less because the the plates were copper. And it's like, what are we going to do? We're going to take home the copper. You know, like yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that. You go sell it and get it, get it in $2 bills. Yeah, here's your bronze. Yeah, that's an inside joke for people in Houston. Anyway, <laughs> all right, well, we're going to adjourn here. But before we do, um, it's time for our cheap plug segment. Telly, thank you for, for being here with me in studio. I mean, we, we had a great time. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Um, so definitely, I hope you'll, you'll come back on the show and, and spread some knowledge. Uh, again, uh, tell everybody who's listening about Title Match Wrestling where they can learn more and, and all the great content. I mean, unbelievable content. You talk about the Sabu interview, which was fantastic. Um, and, you. you know, the other stuff you have on there, X-Pac, Scott Hall, Kurt Angle, uh, the Jake the Snake Roberts interview that's on there as well, uh, yes. where he talks about giving, uh, giving people a receipt, which I think uh, Brock Lesnar is due if what happened was a shoot and not a work. Someone's going to give him a receipt. A lot of great content on there. So go take take it away. What well, do you want to plug? 
Title Match Wrestling on YouTube. Just type in Title Match Wrestling or type in Wrestling Shoot, whatever it is. It'll come up. Uh, subscribe because we have new content coming out every Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday. We just hit 20 million views. Holy shit. This last month. We're Congratulations. Gonna, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's It's been hard without doing any sort of advertising over the last several years. We haven't really advertised at all. Yeah. But um, – helping uh, just working with a lot of great talent and a lot of great people it's really helped um and obviously thank you to the fans uh subscribe you know new content all the time but check out some of the longer shoots we've got a compilation on there that's the top 125 shoots that are on our channel uh it's everything like you said from scott hall x-pac raven uh jake everything from whatever you like if you're into the ecw stuff we've got that sort of thing we've got stars from that we've got wcw stars we talk about all the topics unfiltered and i think it's something that the fans have really been responding to and i think the fans listening would really appreciate awesome awesome man well um definitely i i i certainly recommend it i think everybody uh, listening to this will will enjoy it um if you want to find out more about what i'm doing day to day uh week to week oh by the way um what's your twitter handle as well just at title match wrestling at uh title match wrestling was too long and title match was already taken so we're at real title match real title match okay there you go um, and, of course, you can always hit me up at Matt Topolsky on Twitter. Also, check out my other podcast uh, five days a week on pop culture, pro wrestling, sports, and more. It's at OpinionPodcast.com. It's called Your Opinion Doesn't Matter. It's also available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, um, and just about every other platform you can listen to podcasts on. So that's it for this week on the Pro Wrestling Index. Thanks to everybody for listening, and we will be back next week right here on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.